Hey, what's up you guys and a welcome to another thrilling episode of The Creepy and Paranormal. I'm your host Shane Campbell and today we're diving headfirst into one of the most sensational and controversial stories in American history, the O.J. Simpson saga. But before we unravel the web of intrigue surrounding the case, I want to take a moment to express my heartfelt gratitude to our incredible sponsors who make the show possible. First up, a big shout out to Home Ground Coffee, your source for the freshest and most aromatic brews around. Whether you're an espresso, aficionado or a latte lover, Home Ground Coffee has your back. Please don't forget to go and visit them at Benoni Northerns, they have got their stand there. And while you're at it, you best be trying their chocolate brownies, my word, Absolutely incredible. Whew, man, I'm just thinking about it now. It's getting me all hungry. And speaking of making life much easier for you, we can't forget our friends over at Invoice Cloud. And if you ever tired of drowning in a sea of paperwork and chasing down payments, Invoice Cloud is here to rescue you. So please head over to their page and give them a shout and tell them that I sent you. You will not regret it. They definitely make your life much easier and can really just streamline your side of the business when it comes to invoicing and that so yeah i think back to the main event now which is the oj simpson story this captivating tale of fame justice and tragedy has gripped the nation for decades today we're diving deep 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 into the details the controversies and the shocking twists that continue to baffle us let's hit us with the opening intro. J. Simpson case is one of the most notorious criminal trials in American history. Captivating the nation's attention in the mid-1990s, the case involved former NFL football star and actor Oriental James Simpson, simply known as O.J. Simpson, who was charged with the double homicide of his ex-wife Nicole Brown Simpson and her friend Ronald L. Goldman in Los Angeles, California, on the night of June 12th. 1994. This story will explore the key events of the O.J. Simpson case, examine the theory surrounding what happened that night, and discuss the broader societal implications and controversies surrounding the trial. O.J. Simpson is a former American football player, as mentioned, and an actor as well, as well as a central figure in this actual case. Now, he was born on July 9, 1947, in San Francisco, California, and he achieved fame and recognition as a professional football player. And no, not football as in Tottenham Hotspur, the greatest team alive. We're talking about American football, which makes no sense because the ball is in their hand, not in their foot. Anyways, now that I've probably pissed off all of my American friends, 
Let me continue with the story. So he was a professional football player and before becoming embroiled in one of the most highly publicized criminal trials in the U.S. history, here is a comprehensive background on O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson grew up in the housing projects of San Francisco. He faced a challenging childhood marked by a troubled family environment and brushes with the law. Despite his early hardships, Simpson excelled in high school football and earned a scholarship to play football at the University of Southern California, USC. He became a standout running back for the USC Trojans, winning the Heisman Trophy in 1968 as the nation's best college football player. Now also, my one neighbor has decided that for the last week he is going to be doing some tree felling in his garden with his damn chainsaw. And he's cutting at all random times of the day and evening. And I know what you're thinking. Maybe he's cutting up bodies. Except I have actually seen him cutting down the trees. So, if you hear any chainsaw in the background, I'm not being attacked by a chainsaw killing uh, man. Instead, it is my neighbor with a chainsaw who's driving me freaking crazy. So, please just bear with that. Right. Simpson was selected as the first overall pick in the 1969 NFL Draft by the Buffalo Bills. He played for the Buffalo Bills from 1969 up until 1977 and later for the San Francisco 49ers from 1978 to 1979. Simpson was renowned for his exceptional speed and agility as a running back, earning him the nickname The Juice. He was a six-time Pro Bowl selection and achieved numerous records during his career. Now, after retiring from football, OJ pursued a career in acting. He appeared in several films as well as television series, including the miniseries Roots, which was out in 1977, and the Naked Gun film series, which is fucking hilarious. His acting career helped him maintain a high profile even after leaving the NFL. Now, Simpson was involved in various business ventures, including endorsements as well as commercial appearances. O.J. Simpson's personal life garnered significant attention. Now, he married Nicole Brown in 1985, but their relationship was marked by domestic disputes and allegations of abuse. They had two children together, Sydney and Justin. Then Simpson and Nicole divorced in 1992 following a tumultuous marriage. Simpson faced allegations of domestic violence during this time. Alright, so we're going to be looking at a few dates, times to try and build a little timeline around this whole story, so just stay with me. On the evening of June 12, 1994, Brown and Simpson both attended their daughter Sydney's dance recital at Paul Revere Middle School. Afterwards, Brown and her family went to eat at Mezzaluna restaurant. They did not invite Simpson to join them. One of the waiters at the restaurant was Ron Goldman, who had become close friends with Brown in recent weeks, but was not assigned to the Brown family's table. Brown and her children then went to Ben and Jerry's before returning to Brown's con condominium in Bundy Drive, Brentswood. The manager of Mezzaluna recounted that Brown's mother telephoned the restaurant at 9.37pm about a pair of lost eyeglasses. The manager found the glasses and put them in a white envelope. 
which Goldman took with him as he left the restaurant at the end of his shift at 10 to 9 that evening, intending to drop them off at the Browns' place. Meanwhile, Simpson ate takeout food from McDonald's with Kato Kalin, a bit part actor and family friend who had been given the use of the guest house on Simpson's estate. Rumours circulated that Simpson had been on drugs at the time of the murder. The New York Post Cindy Adams reported that the pair had actually gone to a local Burger King where a prominent drug dealer known as Oni J.R. had admitted to selling them crystal meth. Now, Brown's neighbours testified that they had heard profuse barking coming from outside throughout the night, beginning around quarter past ten, and at about five to eleven, a dog walker who lived only a few blocks away from the Browns came across the Browns' Akita dog barking in the street outside her home. The Akita, whose legs were covered in blood, followed the man home. He tried to walk the dog back to where he found it, but the dog resisted. Later on, he left the Akita with a neighbouring couple who offered to keep the dog overnight. And as the dog was agitated, the couple decided to walk it back to where it had been found. And around midnight, as they had reached the area where the Akita had been found, the dog stopped outside of the Brown's home and the couple saw Brown's body lying outside the house. Police were called to the scene and found Goldman's body near Brown's. The front door to Brown's condominium was open when the bodies were found, but there were no signs that anyone had entered the building, by breaking in or otherwise. Brown's body was lying face down and barefoot at the bottom of the stairs leading to the door. The walkway leading to the stairs was covered in blood, but the soles of Brown's feet were clean. Based on this evidence, investigators concluded that she was the first person to be killed and the intended target. She had been stabbed multiple times in the head and neck, but there were a few defensive wounds on her hands, implying a short struggle to investigators. The final wound inflicted ran deep into her neck, severing her carotid artery. A large bruise in the center of her upper back where a corresponding footprint on her clothing indicated to investigators that after killing Goldman, the assailant returned to Brown's body stood on her back, pulled her head back by the hair and slit her throat. Her larynx could be seen through the gaping wound in her neck and vertebra C3 was incised. Brown's head barely remained attached to her body. Goldman's body lay nearby, close to a tree and the fence. He had been stabbed multiple times in the body and neck, but there were relatively few defensive wounds on his hands, signifying a short struggle to investigators. Forensic evidence from the L.A. County coroner alleged that the assailant stabbed Goldman with one hand while holding him in a chokehold. Near Goldman's body were a blue knit cap, a left hand, extra large, Aris Arson toner light leather glove, and the envelope containing the glasses that he was returning. Detectives then determined that Goldman came to Nicole's house during her killing and that the killer killed him to silence Goldman and remove any witnesses. A trail of the assailant's bloody shoe prints ran through the back gate. To the left of some of the footprints were drops of blood from the assailant, who was apparently bleeding from the left hand. Measuring the distance between the prints indicated that the assailant walked, rather than ran, away from the scene. 
everybody has their own morning routines. But on the top of my list is coffee. Strong, hot, black coffee. I physically can't start the day without a cup. However, sometimes life gets in the way and you're forced to buy a cup of coffee while on the road. And if you're like me, you struggle to find one that tastes good and is affordable. Well now, there is a one-stop solution for you. Homeground Coffee. The name is brilliant and so is the service. Situated at Benoni Northern Sports Ground, it's a nice central point for your morning commute. And why not get a delicious muffin or pie to go along with it? Homeground Coffee is the perfect go-to and I advise you strongly to give them a try. When you do, let them know that I sent you. Find them on Facebook at Homeground Coffee as well as Instagram. That's Homeground Coffee, H-O-M-E-G-R-O-U-N-D. Today's sponsor is called Invoice Cloud. Now, this is really awesome if you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, or even a freelancer. You know how difficult it is to manage and then create those invoices for your customers. But with Invoice Cloud, you have everything you need to create simple, professional estimates on the fly. It's easy to use and understand and getting rid of all the nonsense so you can have more time to do what matters most, which is to grow your business. Invoice Cloud allows you to add your company details, logo, customer information, as well as products, making it a breeze to send estimates to your clients anytime, anywhere. Now, if you want to start your free seven-day trial and get invoicing in just under five minutes, all you need to do is head over to invoicecloud.co.za and boom, you are sorted. That's invoicecloud.co.za. On the night of June 12th, Simpson was scheduled to board a red-eye flight from LA International Airport to Chicago, where he was due to play golf the following day at a convention with representatives of Hertz Rental Car Corporation, for whom he was a spokesperson. The flight was due to leave at about quarter to twelve that evening and a limousine arrived early at Simpson's Rockingham Estate to pick him up at around 25 past 10. The limousine driver drove around the estate to make sure he could navigate the area with the stretch limousine properly and to see which driveway would be the best access for the limousine. He began to buzz the intercom at 20 to 11, getting no response. He noted the house was dark and nobody appeared to be home as he smoked a cigarette and made several calls to his boss to get Simpson's home phone number. He testified that at one point, he saw a figure the same size as Simpson's enter the house through the front door from where the driveway starts. Before the lights came on, he did not see what direction the figure came from. He testified that he saw Simpson's house number on the curb outside the estate, but no car was parked outside. The prosecution presented exhibits showing that the position next to the house number on the curb in which Simpson's Ford Bronco was found the next morning, implying that the limousine driver would surely have noticed that the Bronco if it had been there when he arrived to actually pick up Simpson. Around the time the limousine driver witnessed the shadowy figure head towards the south walkway where the bloody glove would later be found, Kato Kalin was having a telephone conversation with a friend. At approximately 22.11, something crashed into the wall of the guest house Kalin was staying in, which he described as three thumps and which he feared was an actual earthquake. Kalen hung up the phone and ventured outside to investigate the noises, but did not go directly down the dark south pathway from which the stumps had originated. 
Instead, he walked to the front of the property where he saw the limousine parked outside. Kalen left the limousine in and Simpson finally came out through the front door a few minutes later, claiming he had simply overslept. Both the limousine driver and Kalen would later testify that Simpson seemed agitated that night. The limousine driver noted that on the way to the airport, Simpson complained about how hot it was and was sweating and rolled down the window, despite it not being a warm night. The driver also testified that he loaded four luggage bags into the car that night, one of them being a knapsack that Simpson would not let him touch, insisting he loaded himself. A porter at the airport testified that Simpson checked only three bags that night, and the police determined that the missing luggage was the same knapsack that the limousine driver had mentioned earlier. Another witness not heard at the trial claimed he saw Simpson at the airport discarding items from a bag into a trash can. Detectives Tom Langer and Philip Van Onetta believe that this is how the murder weapon, shoes and clothes that Simpson wore during the murder were disposed. Now Simpson was running late but managed to catch his flight. A passenger on the plane as well as the pilot testified not noticing any cuts or wounds on Simpson's hands. A broken glass, a note with a telephone number on it and bed sheets with blood on them were all recovered from Simpson's room at the O'Hara Plaza Hotel. The manager of the hotel recalled Simpson asking for a band-aid for his finger at the front desk because he had cut it on a piece of notepaper. And after learning the Brown was the female victim, LAPD Commander Keith Bushy ordered detectives Tom and Philip as well as Ron and Mark for him to notify Simpson of her death and to escort him to the police station to pick up the former couple's children, who were asleep in Brown's condominium at the time of the murders. The detectives buzzed the intercom at Simpson's estate for over 30 minutes but received no response. They noticed they noted sorry, that Simpson's car was parked at an awkward angle with its back end out more than the front, and that there was blood on the door, which they feared meant someone inside might be hurt. The one detective instructed the other to scale the wall and unlock the gate to allow the other three detectives to enter. The detectives would argue they entered without a search warrant because of uh, extreme circumstances, specifically out of fear that someone inside might be injured. Detective Furham briefly interviewed Kalen, who told that the detective that the car belonged to Simpson and that earlier that night he had heard thumps on his wall. In a walk around the premises to inspect what they may have caused the bumps, Furham discovered blood-stained right-hand glove, which was determined to be the mate of the left-hand glove found next to the body of Goldman. This evidence was determined to be the probable cause to issue an arrest warrant for O.J. Simpson. So let's take a look at uh, a couple of theories surrounding the case. Number one, the prosecution's theory. The prosecution's theory was straightforward. O.J. Simpson was the perpetrator of the double homicide. They argued that a trail of blood evidence, including DNA, connected him to the crime scene. The infamous bloody glove found at his estate was a critical piece of evidence. Prosecutors contended that Simpson had a history of domestic violence, suggesting a motive for the murder. Number two, 
the defense's theory. The defense team, led by Johnny Cochran, employed the famous phrase, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. They argued that evidence had been tampered with and that the glove did not fit Simpson's hand during a courtroom demonstration. They also raised doubts about the credibility of the LAPD and suggested that Simpson had been framed because of his race. Now other theories beyond the courtroom. Numerous alternative theories emerged. Some believed in Simpson's innocence, arguing that a mysterious third party might have committed the murders. Others speculated on potential conspiracies involving law enforcement of criminal elements connected to Nicole's social circles. The verdict in the O.J. Simpson case was delivered on October 3rd, 1995. O.J. Simpson, a former NFL football star and actor, was on trial for the murders of his ex-wife Nicole Brown Simpson and her friend Ronald Goldman, which occurred on June 12, 1994. The verdict was not guilty for both counts of murder. This verdict shocked many people as the evidence against Simpson appeared substantial. The trial had racial and socio-economic undertones and the not guilty verdict was met with mixed reactions across the United States. It's important to note that a criminal trial verdict is based on the evidence presented and the interpretation of the law by the jury. And in this case, the jury found that the prosecution had not proven the case against O.J. Simpson beyond a reasonable doubt, leading to his acquittal. However, the verdict remains a topic of debate and discussion to this day, and opinions on Simpson's guilt or innocence continue to vary. So there you have it, folks. O.J. Simpson wrapped up in a little quick episode for you. Now, I am intrigued to find out what you think about this case. What was really fascinating for you? Um, what do you think? Do you think he was guilty? Do you not think he was he innocent of all of this? Um, from what I've just read today, I would lean towards saying he is guilty. My problem is the prosecution obviously never proved beyond a reasonable doubt that he was guilty and I think that's why the jury had to uh, decide on a not guilty verdict. I mean you can't go and convict someone based on hearsay or your personal opinion. You've got to go on what's presented in evidence in court. So for me I do think he was guilty but I mean who am I to judge? I don't know all of the facts that surrounded the case. I'm just going on what I read today which was pretty unbiased as well. It was pretty neutral. Um, so yeah, let me know what you think about the OJ Simpson case. Is there something I really left out that was super important that I need to cover on? Or are you happy with today's episode? Like I said, was it something a little bit different from creepy and paranormal? Which I suppose it was creepy, knowing that potentially there was a murderer that has still not been convicted of the murder of the two of them. And I'm just really grateful that the poor little doggy was not hurt in the whole murder um, as well, as well as the kids, like, I mean, totally innocent, even though we can state that Nicole and Ronald Goldman were innocent as well, they were victims, but what I'm trying to say is, like, I'm just glad a dog which is defenseless as well as the little kids were defensive as well. Anyways, that's where I'm going to wrap it up for today. You know the drill, when you go to sleep tonight and load shedding occurs, 
and the power goes out and everything's quiet and you hear a creaking coming from your cupboard door. You look over, you see nothing. The sound now resonates from under your bed. So don't forget to look under your bed tonight and see what awaits you.